thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Pretty sobering. You know, this afternoon as I was just getting ready for tonight, I, was, I, I remembered that video. I had seen it uh, several years ago. You should know that when Paul Harvey said that, it was 1965, 51 years ago. 51 years ago, Paul Harvey said that. How many of those things are we living today? 
Actually, very prophetic were many of those things that Paul Harvey said. And the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> the devil does just keep on doing what he's been doing. And he's been doing it pretty well. And so I just wanted to start with that video because <clears throat> if we do not take serious what the Bible says about spiritual warfare and about the devil, what will it look like in 10 years? I mean, we've kicked God out of school. We've done and we've seen about almost all of the things that he mentioned 51 years ago. We're seeing those things right now. What will it be like 10 years from now? One day we're all going to give an account for what we did with what we knew about the Bible. So I want to dive into this. This is week five of our spiritual warfare. We're not calling it a campaign. It's a series. It's a long series. We're going nine, ten, or eleven weeks. This is about halfway through it. And I want to just do a continuation of what I started last week, but with a little bit of a different emphasis. I'm going to do a review quickly, and then I'm going to dive into what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share tonight. But I want to start by praying that we would just be open to what our responsibility is as an individual. You know, one of the things that the enemy wants to remove from us is the understanding of the effectiveness of an individual. When we as individuals understand the power and the authority that we have, when we stand on the Word and stand on the promises, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. So imagine if we do it as an army that's linked together, how much more powerful that would be. But it has to start with us as an individual. It has to start with us understanding what the Word of God says and then saying, Lord, I'm in. So I want to pray, and then we're going to do a review, and we're going to dive right in. So, Father, I ask in Jesus' name for a clarity, just a clarity to communicate what your Word has taught us for thousands of years. Lord, we are not surprised by the enemy. We are not surprised because you told us thousands of years ago that he was cast from heaven. You told us thousands of years ago what he does, what he's come to do, what his strategies are. So, Lord, we are not ignorant or unaware of the schemes of the enemy. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to maybe see something we've never seen before, maybe a reminder of something we've known, but something that we've shrunk back from. So open our hearts and our minds to your word tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So last week, last week I talked about the, the fact of the matter is there's two kingdoms in existence in our world. There is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of the devil. And I spent quite a bit of time last week talking about what I think the enemy has created as a fabrication, and I called it the magic kingdom. So you've got the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of the devil or the kingdom of darkness. And if humanity has one of those two options, anybody that has any kind of a brain, whether you're a God follower or not, is going to pick the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light as opposed to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the devil. But, but what we talked about last week is the strategy of the enemy to introduce to the world that we live in this other kingdom that we called the magic kingdom. And we described what that magic kingdom was like. It's, it's not unlike Disneyland. It's not unlike Magic Mountain or Knott's Berry Farm where you go into this beautiful place that's created and it's all driven and motivated by fantasy and fiction. 
So you go into this place and you kind of drop off the cares and the realities, if you will, of the world around you and you enter into this fantasy kingdom where there's kings and queens and princes and all of these toys and rides and, and you enter into this unreality or unreal realm and you stay there. You've been, how many of you have been to Disneyland, Magic Mountain? You've been to some of those fantasy theme parks. It's a wonderful place to go. All your cares drop away. I said last week, you get those suckers that are about as big as your face. And so the kids light up. I mean, it's just, it's like heaven on earth for kids. But it's fantasy and it's fiction. And what the enemy has done in his strategy, in his thousands and thousands of years of practice, of deceit, is he's created another kingdom. And it funnels right out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the devil into this fantasy kingdom called the magic kingdom. And that's the kingdom where God can be whoever you want him to be. If you want him to be a fairy, he'll be a fairy. If you want him to be something else, he'll be something else. He'll be the God you want him to be. There's no right and there's no wrong. It's everything is relative and it's, it's fantasy and it's fiction. And unfortunately today, the world and the church is seduced by that. Do you, do you realize we have people in the church today that don't believe there's a heaven and a hell? In the church today, they don't believe there's a heaven and a hell. There's people today that believe as long as you live a good life, you're going to somehow make it to heaven. That's a lie. You are going to go to hell. You are going to go to hell if you don't accept the free gift of the Savior, Jesus Christ. True or false? True or false? Say it like you mean it. It is true, and we need to stand up. We need to, we need to understand this. Here's what I said last week. There was a story written thousands of years ago, and you're part of the story. You have a couple options. You can either say there is no story and make your own story up, or you can agree to be a part of God's story. And say, God wrote it. He started it in the beginning. We weren't there in the beginning. We're somewhere thousands of years down the road in the middle of the book. But, but we don't have too many options when it comes to that. We can either believe there is no story, that we came from the little pond that had the polywog in it, that turned into the frog, that turned into the monkey, that turned into the human. Right? We can believe that. And that's the magic kingdom that says we evolved from whatever, pond scum or whatever. Or we can say, no, there's actually a story that God wrote from the beginning of time and he created all of us and we can cooperate with that story. So the challenge for us last week was, what are we going to believe? So here, in a way of review, we talked about the three strategies that the enemy uses to combat the believer and they are the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's on your outline. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And when, when we talked about the world, we talked about the system that we live in, this system called the world. And we went through the scriptures. And what we said concerning the world is we have to face the facts. He is the God of this age, the God of this world, the devil that is. And so when we're looking at the, the well-executed game plan of the enemy, we talked about this game plan of the enemy. And I said last week in the message that the best team doesn't always win. Oftentimes in sports, the team that's better prepared wins. Sometimes the better team is underprepared and they underestimate their opponent and as a result of that, they lose. So we said the enemy has the world, the flesh, and the devil. And over here on God's team, we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So there's no question that we're on the winning team. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, world, flesh, devil. This is the better team, hands down. Unfortunately, that team doesn't always win because the enemy's team has a strategy that he has been walking out and working out for thousands of years. So we said the world is the first part of that, and we had to face the facts. We said the flesh is the second part of that, and with the flesh, we have to confront excuses. It's easy to make excuses for the flesh. And if we give in to the flesh, then we play into the hands of the enemy. So we've got to confront the excuses. If we're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, then we have to confront excuses. Would you agree? The enemy likes us to make excuses. And then the third thing that we said was the devil. And we said the devil is real. He's as real as God. He was created by God. He's a fallen being, but he's real. He's not a thought out there somewhere. He is a created being that is going to spend eternity in the lake of fire, and his objective has been, since he was cast out of heaven, to take as many people with him as he can. And hell is going to be filled with people. And if we don't say that, we are not facing the facts. And so we have to face the facts, and we do it in a loving way. We do it in such a way that we invite people to understand that there was a story written long before you got here. And God wants you to be a part of the story, but you have to cooperate with the way that he wrote it. So, do you all remember that now? So, let me read this um, statement to you, and then we'll start with Ephesians chapter 6. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Beware of dwelling in the magic kingdom, the one that we just described. Unfortunately, today, there are people and churches that are dwelling in the magic kingdom. They are not confronting darkness. They're not confronting spiritual warfare. They're not doing spiritual warfare. And the fact of the matter is you're in a battle whether you know it or not. So the best thing to do is realize that we're in a battle and live in, in such a way that we are positioned and ready to fight should we need to. So Ephesians chapter 6, this has been read two or three times during this series, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to start here. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Sometimes, doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like sometimes that person that you work with is the devil incarnate? Don't raise your hand. But you feel like you work with the devil. You feel like you work with somebody. I talked to somebody a few weeks ago at Car Street. 35 years working in the same place. Bullied by somebody for 20-something of those years. Finally, after years and years and years and years, went to HR, had it dealt with, and the man got fired for doing that. And, and the man felt terrible about doing that. But 20-plus years of just that, that bullying. So we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, evil rulers, authorities of the unseen realm, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The magic kingdom would want us to think there is no devil and it's just all about, well, if I just get another job, I'll never have to deal with that person. Well, I'll just go get another job because I'll never have to deal with that person. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers in high places. So I want to quickly go through this next part, and then I want us to get to the part that I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on tonight. First of all, a scriptural view of Satan. And we've touched this a little bit in the few weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But the Bible says he's the God of this world. Little g, but he's the God of this world. If the Bible says it, I should believe it. True or false? He is the God of this world. If the good news we preach, this is Paul in 2 Corinthians, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan 
who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that people that are not Christ followers, that have not received the revelation of the Lord, the Bible says that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds. So they don't believe there's a devil. They don't believe there's a, a kingdom of darkness. And what Paul Harvey said 51 years ago, we've walked right into it. When, people, when he said that 51 years ago, people in the government, people in the schools, people in the courthouses would have jumped up and they would have said, never, never, never. Here we are 51 years later and we're living right in the middle of it. The God of this world, who is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Where, where does the light come from? The light comes from those who have the light of Christ in them who are willing to stand up and be a living testimony, recognizing that we have to engage in spiritual warfare. Number two, he is the ruler of this world. Now, these are descriptors that the Bible gives of Satan. He is the God of this world, but he's also the ruler of this world. Then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. There's going to come a time when Satan will be cast out. But Jesus was describing Satan in John's gospel as the ruler of this world. So the God of this age and the ruler of this world. Just think about those statements from God. This is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Spiritual warfare is a serious thing. And if the enemy can get us to live on our heels or act like it's no big deal or hope that if we, if we hope in our mind, well, if we just stay quiet, if he doesn't mess with us, we won't mess with him, kind of just stay off his turf and forget that. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so the only way that they're going to see the difference is if they see you standing up and fighting. So I wrote on my outline, and it's not on yours, that let's beware of some extremes. And I just want to name these. It's not on your outline. But let's beware of some extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in just a minute. But I would say the, the two extremes side of the pendulum would be, first of all, to underestimate so not to give enough attention. That is an extreme that a lot of people live under. Underestimate the effectiveness or the schemes or the strategy of the enemy, and as a result of that, they don't pay enough attention. They don't pay enough attention to it. The other one would be to overestimate and therefore be out of balance. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, and, and I'm going to challenge our thinking when it comes to this. Either extreme is not good. If we underestimate or we overestimate, we will be out of balance. We need to take the biblical approach to what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. Number three, when it comes to Satan and the scriptural view of Satan. Number three, the entire world, say entire world, is under his influence. Think about that. The entire world is under the influence of the enemy. 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and we know that the whole world is under control or under the control of the evil one. So the enemy has made incredible inroads. Think about just in your lifetime. Think about in your lifetime, for as long as you've been serving the Lord, think about the freedoms and the biblical privileges that have been stripped away from you. 
You stand up now and you say anything for the, uh, uh, about the name of Christ or the cause of Christ, you are labeled a hate monger in the minute. You are judged and you are criticized because you stand up and you say, I'm a Christ follower, that no other people group on planet Earth is treated that way. None. Only the Christian. Only the Christian. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the entire world being under his influence. So the reality is we have to see the truth of the influence that Satan has in our world. Now, we can't be intimidated by that and we can't be bullied by that, but we have to pay attention to it. So we don't want to underestimate, but we don't want to overestimate. So somewhere we have to find the wisdom of God and we have to say, what does the Word of God say to us? And so I want to talk to us for just a few minutes tonight about the invasion of the enemy. And I want us to look at this kind of strategically. I'm going to take my phone out because I want to read a quote to you that I found today, but, but I'm going to read something else first. Um, I want you to notice this quote on your outline from Ralph Waldo Emerson. That which we persist in doing becomes easy to do. Not that the nature of the thing has changed, but that our power to do so has increased. Just think about those words for a minute. That which we persist in doing. So if we persist in, in engaging in spiritual warfare in its proper place, not, over, not underestimating, but not overestimating, if we continue to persist in doing something, it becomes easy to do. Not that the nature of that thing has changed. doesn't mean that spiritual warfare becomes easy, but that our power to do it has increased. In other words, something shifts in our mind that says we are engaged in this whether we want to be or not. Here's the truth about the church of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, us, the body of Christ. He's the head. We are the body. We are engaged in a war. I want you to imagine what would happen if the troops that are protecting and defending this country just sat down, dropped their weapons on the ground, folded their arms and said, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm, I'm tired of doing it. I'm not going to do it. I want you to imagine how we would be invaded. I want, you, I want you to imagine what the enemy would do if he saw the soldiers that were fighting to defend and protect our freedoms put their weapons down. It's no different when it comes to spiritual warfare. So, so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't become weary in warfare. I thought about something, and I want to read this definition to you of invasion because I want us to talk for a few minutes about understanding the levels of spiritual invasion. This is what I want to focus on tonight. Understanding the levels of spiritual invasion. Any army, any military understands. I learned it as an 18-year-old in the Marine Corps. I didn't know my head from a hole in the ground, but there were people that knew, and they were teaching us strategies about invasion. They were teaching us as 18 and 19-year-olds how we were going to go overseas and how we were going to do what our objectives were. They're teaching this to us as children, and, and, and so we as the body of Christ who've been serving the Lord for 10, 15, 20 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, maybe more than 50 years. What would it look like if we became weary? You know, some of you that have been serving the Lord for decades, God looks at you as generals, as colonels, as captains. 
You need, to be, you, you need to be declaring the charge. You need to be raising up the next generation. You need to be pouring into the next generation. Thank God for drill instructors that taught me when I was in boot camp. I goofed around in boot camp two times. Two times I goofed around in boot camp. One time I got slapped. Really, I got slapped. And the next time I got a broom shoved in my throat for goofing around in boot camp. These guys were not playing around. They had been in combat. They were not playing around. And they were not going to let me play around. Those of us that have been serving the Lord for a long time, we cannot become weary in doing well, and we need to be telling the next generation, pay attention. Pay attention. We are in a war. And teaching them how to fight. Invasion. Here's the definition. An act or an instance of invading or entering as an enemy, especially by an army. The entrance or the advent of anything troublesome or harmful as disease, could be a disease, anything that is an invasion that comes unexpectedly. Entrance as if to take possession or overrun. An infringement by intrusion. I'm telling you, that is the enemy. Infringement by intrusion. He wants to eat your lunch. He wants to destroy our lives. Do you agree with that? Do you know that? Do you know people that have succumbed to spiritual warfare and it's blown their whole lives up? And the enemy has gotten in. And he's done his work, and, and a lot of it is because we've become weary. We're not, we're not ignorant, says the Bible, of the enemy's schemes. But we've got to read, and we've got to study, and we've got to show ourselves approved, someone that rightly handles the word of truth. Here's what I thought about today, I, and I just re-looked at some history this afternoon when I was thinking about my message, but I was, I was thinking about the Normandy invasion. June 6, 1944, and here's what, here's what I, I just went and I looked at some facts. Nobody that was going towards that invasion was told, the allies, none of the allies were told where they were going to land until the very last minute. The element of surprise was a must with the Normandy invasion. The element of surprise was an absolute must. I promise you today that the enemy is looking for the advantage of surprise in your life. He is looking to storm the beaches of your life and to surprise you. Surprise was crucial, and here's why surprise was crucial. The Germans had 55 divisions, 55 divisions. The Allies could only bring in eight divisions. They could only get that many people across the sea that quickly. So imagine 55 against eight. How in the world was it that the eight divisions were able to overcome the 55 divisions, the element of surprise. The element of su surprise and preparation. Now, that works both ways. World, flesh, and the devil, losing team, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, winning team, the one that pays attention, the one that is better prepared, the one that understands the element of surprise, whether they're executing it or whether it's being executed on them. Listen, the enemy will try as much as he can to execute the element of surprise in your life. Okay, you're just going along and all of a sudden, and I, I say, I've said this for the last few weeks, and I'm always careful where I say this kind of stuff. The last couple years have been tough for me. They have been tough for me. It's been an amazing experience going over to Car Street in the last two years, but I promise you it has been a challenge for me. I've faced some experiences in spiritual warfare that I've never faced before, and I've been a follower of Christ for 35 years. And I've gotten hit with things I didn't get hit with before. We've got an enemy that's got 6,000 plus years of experience. 
So 6,000 plus years, 35 years of experience. Big difference, big discrepancy. So I want us to talk about, for just a few minutes, understanding the levels of spiritual invasion. In other words, those things that the enemy will try to use in your lives to exploit you. The opportunities that he's looking for, and they're in the Bible, these are opportunities that the devil is looking for to come in and do a number on your lives. I was reading something again as I was looking over my notes this week. Um, Patton said to Rommel in World War II, I read your book. I read your book. Patton said that to Rommel because he knew that he was going to fight against him. And he wanted to know his adversary. I read your book. We got to read our book. Because when we read our book, we know what the Bible says about our enemy. We have to read it because it's in here. So, number one, spiritual invasion. Spiritual invasion occurs with willful disobedience to the Word of God, and it opens the door to compromise. You want to get invaded in your life by the enemy? Willfully disobey the Word of God. That is a way that spiritual invasion, the, the doors will come open and the enemy will come in like a floodgate. Willful disobedience. Now, there are times we do things in ignorance, we don't know things, but willful disobedience to the Word of God will open the door to spiritual invasion in your lives. How do we know that? Because here's what the Bible says. Paul, an apostle, sent, from, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Galatia. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father to whom glory is forever and ever. Amen. And here's what Paul says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So Paul shows up at this church at Galatia and he said, you started out well. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? And when you read the book of Galatians, what they had done is they had willfully begun to disobey the Word of God. They had entered into the, 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 uh, the lusts of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit wasn't evident in their life, and they were, they were walking out the lusts of their flesh, and they were willfully disobeying the Word of God. And as a result of willfully disobeying the Word of God, they were turning to another gospel. Another gospel, another God. Would you agree with me that we live in a world today where there's a lot of people doing that? Turning to another gospel, turning to another God. Well, your God may be Jesus, but my God is Buddha, or my God is Muhammad, or my God is this. There's one way to God through his son, Jesus Christ. But the enemy for thousands and thousands of years has been, has been waging in secrecy this spiritual invasion 
to come right up to the beachhead of your life, throw open the doors, and overwhelm you with surprise. And, and his tactics do not change. We know that because the Bible tells us that. So willful disobedience to the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 11 say this. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. This is the psalmist in Psalm 119 crying out to God. It's all about the word of God. It's all about getting the word in him. It's all about his passion and his hunger for the word and his desire not to willfully disobey the word of God. And so he's pouring out his heart. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn those righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. And then he asks this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So spiritual invasion is happening today in the church, in the lives of believers, because of willful disobedience to the word of God. Because then it brings us to that place of compromise. And if we look again at the, at the strategy of the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, compromise is about the flesh. We begin to give in to the flesh. Number two. I want to focus here for just a couple minutes. Number two. Spiritual invasion occurs when our mind is lazy or unprepared. So not only willful disobedience to the Word of God, but when our minds become lazy or unprepared. And they, become, they can become lazy or unprepared in a lot of ways. Sometimes you just get tired. Don't you sometimes get tired? Yes or no? Yes. You're tired right now because you're not answering me. Yes or no? Yes, sometimes we get tired. And because of that, we're unprepared. What happens if you know you're going to a job interview? What happens if you know tomorrow is a big day? You set your clothes out, you set your alarm, you get all squared away so that you can get up in the morning because you know that tomorrow is a big day. So you're going to go to bed a little bit earlier, you're going to eat right. Don't we think about those things? Tomorrow's a big day or next week is a big week or I've got to travel tomorrow or I've got to fly or something. So there's some kind of a preparation that goes into it. When we're living in a world that is constantly influenced by the enemy, one of his strategies is to wear us down. And one of the ways that we get worn down is with a lazy mind. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Think about what that, just think about the wording there. Think about when Peter was living. He's weeks away from being killed. Prepare your minds for action. Everywhere they go, they're being run out of town. They're being persecuted. Some of his friends that were with Jesus have already died. They've been martyred. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Because it is written, be holy because I am holy. I said this last week when it comes to spiritual warfare. If you lose the battle between your ears, it's over. 
it is over. If you lose the battle between your ears, it is going to be over for us. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Everything that happens, happens here. Imagine how many thousands and thousands of thoughts are coming through your mind every single day. And yet Paul says that we're to capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How in the world do you do that? How in the world do you capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ? It goes back to that statement by Emerson. That which we persist in doing, we're disciplining our minds, whatever it is, that which we persist in doing becomes easy to do, not that the nature of the thing has changed, but that our power to do it is increased. In other words, we've got to win the battle in the mind. If we're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, we've got to win the battle in the mind. So when Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, he knew what he was talking about. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 3 says. Paul said this, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds, he's going thousands of years back to the deception that came to Eve, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I've allowed myself many, many times in the Scriptures, and if you've heard me teach before, you've heard me say this, the Bible will not allow us to wander from the truth, but it will allow us to wonder. We can go into the Word of God, we can dive into it, and we can wonder. And let me tell you about something that I've wondered about when it comes to the mind. Because so many scriptures tell us that that's where the invasion comes. The invasion's not going to necessarily, when you're in spiritual warfare, you're not going to walk to work one day and somebody's not going to say, why do you have 16 stitches in your arm? Well, I was in spiritual warfare and a demon cut me with a sword. That's not how it happens. These things are happening in our minds, right? I mean, these battles are waging and, and, and the warfare is in our minds. So Scripture is woven with this reality that we've got to take our thoughts captive and we've got to submit them to Christ. We've got to capture thinking. We've got to challenge thinking. And then we've got to change thinking. All of those things. And I was doing a study years ago. I've done a teaching for many, many years at YWAM called Monsters Live in the Dark. And it's just something that God just birthed in my heart out, out of a cry of my heart to just want to know how to minister to somebody that was struggling. And I remember as I was preparing this teaching, I remember coming to a place where I begin to wonder about something. And, and here's what I begin to wonder about. It was where the Bible says in John chapter 8 that the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. The Bible says that. And there's other places in Scripture where the Bible says, you are of your father, the devil. So I begin to wonder what that means. What does it mean that the devil is a father? So I'm thinking, well, if you're a father, it means you have children, right? That's the definition of a father, right? Yes or no? Come on, help, help me here, right? If you're a father, it means you have children. So the Bible says you're of your father, the devil. And then in other places, you are of your father, the devil. You are children of the devil. So if the devil is a father and the devil has children, here's the question I asked of the Scriptures. Who's the mother? Who's the mother? And if you got a father, only one immaculate conception. So if there's a father who is the devil and the devil has children, then who is the mother? And here's what I believe the Lord showed me, and I've, I've, I've studied this out, and I believe there's truth to it. I believe that the mother is the mind. It's our mind, and let me tell you why I believe that. Your mind and my mind is like a womb. 
That's why Paul says, if we want to be successful in spiritual warfare, then we better be careful of the invasion that is coming to the mind. Your mind is like a womb. That's why Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What do we know about a womb? A seed attaches itself to the womb and something begins to grow. True or false? And then eventually that is going to give birth to something. And so our mind is like a womb. And if, if we are not aware of spiritual invasion that is coming against our mind, and all of a sudden a lie comes in, and it plants itself in the womb of our mind, and it says something crazy like, yeah, go ahead and take that money. Nobody will know. It's only a little bit. Just go ahead and take that money. Yeah, just go ahead. Just, yeah, you can just walk out on your family. You can, whatever the lie is. And that seed, it starts as a seed, but it attaches itself to the, to the womb of our mind. Eventually, that's going to give birth to something. The womb is eventually going to give birth to something. And so our mind is like a womb. And so we've got to make sure that when we're trying to understand spiritual warfare, that the invasion is going to come between our ears. That's where it's going to come. It's going to come right between the ears. And the devil is going to lie and he's going to tell you, quit praying for your family. Quit praying for your friends. It's not going to work. And that seed gets planted there. And it starts to grow, and it starts to grow, and eventually it gets so big that it has to get birthed. But ten thousands of ten thousands of thoughts that come through our minds every single day. That's why we have to be careful of the spiritual invasion that comes when our minds are lazy. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So that looks like this. If a lie from the enemy comes in and tries to plant itself in the womb of our minds, we have to abort it. Because if we do not abort it, it's going to give birth to something. I'm no good. I'll never amount to anything. He's better than me. She's better than me. I'm no good. God doesn't love me. You, you, you could go down the list and you could write a book about it. They're all lies. Aren't they all lies? God is no respecter of persons. He sent Jesus to die for every single person on planet earth. But if that spiritual invasion, if the enemy knows he has access to your mind, why would he stop? He won't stop. So we got to be relentless in making sure that our minds are not lazy. That's why we have the armor of God. We put on the helmet of salvation. We put that on and it covers our mind from the lies of the enemy. But it's dangerous. This is a dangerous thing. Let me read this to you. It was sobering to me when I read it today. President Eisenhower said this. These men came here, British, our allies, and Americans, to storm these beaches for one purpose only, not to gain anything for ourselves, not to fulfill any ambitions that America had for conquest, but just to preserve freedom. Many thousands of men have died for such ideals as these, but these young boys, this is a president who was a general, but these young boys were cut off in their prime. I devoutly hope that we will never again have to see such scenes as these. I think and hope and pray that humanity will have learned we must find a way, some way, to gain eternal peace for the world. We know the Prince of Peace. We know the Prince of Peace. He was heart-stricken. He was grieving because millions upon millions of people died.
to protect and defend freedoms. There are people every single day that are casualties of spiritual warfare. And they might not be dead yet, but they're limping along. They're on the road, and they're limping along, and we're so busy with lazy minds that we're just walking by, and we're not scooping them up. What's going on in the church? Listen, if the fact of the matter is we're all in combat, we're all in spiritual warfare, and we all get tired sometime, what, what, happened? What, what happened to the spiritual hospitals? That's the church. The church should be a spiritual hospital. I've said it 50, at least 50 times at Car Street. And I've said it with intention. I've said, it this, I've said this at Car Street because I felt like the Lord told me to say it. Because when I got to Car Street, it needed to be said. Car Street is going to be a spiritual hospital. And when you come to Car Street, you are going to not have to pay, wait in line. You're not going to have any co-pays. And you're not going to be wrongly diagnosed. It's not going to happen. It's a spiritual hospital where you show up. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. You show up. You're properly diagnosed by King Jesus. And you're taken care of. That's what the church should be. If we are in battle, if we are in combat, and we get tired and we get weary, we need to be there for one another. We can't isolate ourselves. We've got to come together. And the enemy is, is, is throwing this invasion all out on us. And we got to pay attention to it because he's doing pretty good. Paul Harvey said 51 years ago something. If I were the devil, this is what I'd do. That was prophetic because 51 years later, we're living in the middle of that. Number three, spiritual invasion occurs when we are spiritually negligent. Spiritual invasion occurs when we are spiritually negligent negligent. That's what the Bible says. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Again, that's between the ears. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. So there's this amazing battle that's happening in our lives, and it's happening all around us, and we can't afford to be spiritually negligent. In other words, we've got to know what is available to us. We have to not only know what is available to us, we have to know what is coming against us. If we're going to be successful in battle, we need to know what's coming against us. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were joking about this. So if you have a flip phone, don't get mad at me, okay? Say, I won't. He was telling me, this friend of mine was telling me that he did not want to go from a flip phone to an iPhone because he was afraid there would be too much for him to learn. And he was just overwhelmed with the reality of what that would look like. He just likes to be able to open the phone, push the number. Sometimes, isn't that nice, that a phone could actually just be a phone? You just push the buttons, and it actually is a phone and not a computer and everything else. But then there's others that are tech-savvy Sunday at church. Car Street, we're having a discovering, uh, we're having a taste of faith. This little boy walks up to me. He's four years old. And he hands me this little device. It's about that big, and it's green. And it looks to me like it's an iPad, but it's got a handle on it, and it's some kind of a toy. And he says to me, he said, what kind of dinosaur are you? I said, I don't know. He said, well, I'm going to tell you what kind of dinosaur you are. And so he starts asking me a series of questions, and he's punching all this stuff in this little machine he has, and then it pops up, and it 
tells him what kind of a dinosaur I am. And I'm thinking, here's this little four-year-old boy that knows ten times more about technology than I could ever even think about. He's showing me how to use, and I, I'm having to tell this little four, five, six-year-old boy, slow down, slow down. I can't follow you. You're going too fast. And, and I think sometimes we approach the Word of God that we get so overwhelmed. We think, how could I ever learn it all? How could I ever know it all? I, do, I, I can't possibly, and, and it begins to overwhelm us. Here's what it comes down to. Just don't be negligent. Just get in it and just read it and study it. The Holy Spirit will be faithful. God will show us. He will be faithful. We cannot be intimidated by it. We're on the winning team, aren't we? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is the winning team. doesn't mean that it's easy. But I want to challenge us as I wrap this up. I want to challenge us that there is an invasion, and it is happening, and it's coming our way. And it might be on your doorsteps. It might be a few miles away, but it is coming your way. And, and we can't afford to be spiritually negligent. We can't afford to willfully disobey the Word of God. We can't afford to have lazy minds. That is what the enemy is banking on. He's banking on that we will do these things. I wrote these thoughts down, and I, want, I just want to close with these thoughts. They're not in your outline, but I want to close with these thoughts. So I was just thinking about this and pondering this I have seen, and I want to say this with all humility, I just want to say this, and, and I'm not pointing my finger at anybody, I just want to say what I've been able, what I've observed over years of being in the church. I said a few minutes ago that we have to avoid extremes. We have to avoid underestimation, we have to avoid overestimating the enemy. But we have to learn to hold, and I'm going to just read it to you as I wrote it down on my notes. We must learn to hold what the Bible teaches, but also hold what the Bible teaches in the balance of what the Bible gives. Let me just say that one more time. We must learn to hold what the Bible teaches, but also hold what the Bible teaches in the balance in which the Bible gives it. And let me explain what I mean by that. One of the ways that the enemy is being successful against the body of Christ and Christians today is to get us out of balance when it comes to spiritual warfare. Have you ever been in a place where a Christian or somebody has said to you, what's your thing? What's your thing? Well, I'm a faith guy. Well, I'm a this guy. What's your thing? That, that, that terminology is actually in the church in some places. What's, what's your thing? I was listening to a message this morning as I was praying, and I, I heard a guy actually sharing a story of how he went golfing and he met a pastor from another country that he had heard about, a great pastor. He had never met him before. And the first thing the pastor said to him is, what's your thing? And, and, and the man that I was listening to this morning said, he's thinking to himself, what do you mean, what is my thing? My thing is the whole Bible. My thing is the whole Bible. It's not just one thing. And, and, and let me read that one more time. And let me just caution us about having a thing. We must learn to hold what the Bible teaches, but also hold what the Bible teaches in the balance which the Bible gives. And then I wrote this on my notes. Beware of having a thing. A thing is something that you filter everything through. A thing is something you filter everything through. Not everything is the devil. Quit blaming everything on the devil. Not everything that happens is the devil. And that is a thing. Every, if that is the thinking, that is wrong thinking and that's out of balance thinking. And, and there are people out there that think everything is the devil and it's out of balance. 
And it's, it's subjecting them to the schemes of the enemy. Don't make spiritual warfare a thing. It's part of the reality of the Christian's life, but don't make it a thing and don't filter everything through spiritual warfare. When you get up in the morning and uh, you have a bad day for whatever reason, don't just blame it on spiritual warfare. Maybe you stayed up too late. Maybe you didn't get the right amount of sleep. Maybe you didn't eat right. Don't blame everything on spiritual warfare. I wrote this statement on my outline. And I would say beware. Not only beware of a thing, but I wrote this on my outline. The Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. The Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. There's a scripture in the Bible that said people picked up serpents, right? And those serpents didn't hurt them, right? Right or wrong? Scripture picked up serpents. Do you know that there are churches today that have made that their thing? There are churches today that have made their thing picking up serpents because the Bible said they'll pick up serpents and they won't get hurt. And they've made it their thing. And, and here's what's ended up happening to them. They've made spiritual warfare a thing. They've gotten out of balance. They've gotten off kilter. And they're missing the mark. So you actually have pastors, church leaders, that have churches where they dance with snakes. That's stupid. That is not biblical. That's stupid. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. The Bible describes something that was descriptive. Paul got bit by a serpent, and it didn't kill him. And so the Bible describes something that was descriptive, but then people take it out of balance, and they make a prescription out of that. Well, because I read something descriptive in the Bible, then that must be a prescription. So it means I can, I can go, and I can buy a king cobra from the pet store, and I can walk out of the, king cobra, the, the pet store with a king cobra, and I can show them that I'm spiritual. And I've done what the Bible says. I've picked up a, a, a deadly serpent, and it's not going to kill me. That's foolish. That is foolish. That is unwise, and that is foolish, and that is part of the scheme of the enemy. So spiritual warfare is not a thing. Don't make it a thing that you filter everything through. Don't filter your Christianity, everything through spiritual warfare. If you do, you will be seduced by the lies of the enemy. You'll be seduced by the lies of the enemy. It's a real part of the whole thing, but don't make your thing, don't filter everything through spiritual warfare and don't blame everything on spiritual warfare. It's a dangerous place to be. So let me just conclude. Spiritual invasion occurs with willful disobedience to the Word of God, and it opens us up to compromise. Spiritual invasion occurs when our mind is lazy or unprepared. Spiritual invasion occurs when we are spiritually negligent. The Bible is amazingly descriptive in telling us how to understand spiritual warfare and to be prepared for it. We don't have to be intimidated by it. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to worry that everything we do is spiritual warfare. If the enemy can get us paranoid or fearful, he'll do that. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org.
Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.